In this week's episode of Studio Inter, we'll be reviewing the Barcelona clash with Spanish football expert and Barcelona pundit Rick Sharma. We'll be previewing the Barcelona and Salernitana game, this week's Moji Moratti and Frog, and much, much more. Everything here on Studio Inter, only on sempreinter.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. My name is Nima Tavallo Ruzzari and uh, I'm incredibly happy after six points that seemed really unlikely uh, after the way the, 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 how Inter have been playing going into last week. But before we get to all of that, let me introduce my panelists, starting with our man in Egypt. I, I suspect you're no longer the artist formerly known as Mr. Positivity, but you're beaming with positivity now, I suspect, Mr. Mohamed Nasser. Hey, everyone. It's pretty wild that last week uh, I, we scoffed at the fact that we might actually get uh, six points, but uh, we did it. Uh, the guys did it. So uh, very, very, very excited to get on, uh, on to this episode. And we're also joined by our good friend from uh, all the way from the United States. He's the host of the B- Brothers of the World podcast, Mr. Michael McDuffie. Hey, Nima. Great to have, be back again. Um, what better way um, to make a second appearance than to come back on and look at how wrong I was last week? Um, well, <laughs> I, I couldn't let you just do you just, you know, come on and be negative. So I figured it's only fair to invite you on and be positive again and be positive. So so that's why I did that. And 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 we're joined by a very special guest. He is a sports journalist in Spain for the for AFP. He is on uh, he has a, a Barcelona podcast together with Samuel Marsden and Tony Juan Marti called Siempre Positivo, making his Siempre Studio Inter debut. Welcome, Mr. Rick Sharma. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to doing the pod. Well, uh, let's start um, that. And I'm, I am suspect as a Barcelona fan, you're not exactly um, too happy about the result last week. Um, before we delve into all the you know nitty gritty and the controversies and all that, I mean, we were not confident from an Inter perspective going into that game. It's felt like Barcelona were much more confident, only conceded having conceded one goal, Robert Lewandowski scoring for fun, having played really well against Bayern Munich despite losing, and then the game against Inter came and and Barcelona loses that lose that and. Um, what were your thoughts going into into the game? Were you surprised by how well organised Inter were, and were you surprised or and, and disappointed by how um, Barcelona approached the game? One thing before we get started, I'm not, I'm not actually a Barcelona fan. I have the Barcelona pod, but I'm, I'm a Chelsea fan, and I quite like oh. Inter Milan with the Jose oh. Mourinho collection. <laughs> ah, of course. <laughs> yeah, but um, getting back to the game, I was I was very surprised with. with with how it turned out, because like you said, Barcelona have been in very good form. I think the international break caused them a lot of problems. They haven't, I mean, historically done well after international breaks, partly because they have so many players who are on international duty. And I think I saw that that no no side in the world had more than Barcelona away. And so Javi was left working more or less with the B team while, while everyone was away. But I mean, he doesn't use that as an excuse. And I don't think we can use that as an excuse for Barcelona either, because... On paper, they came into it with arguably the most informed striker in the world, aside from Man City's Erling Haaland. 
the defense has been in in really good condition this season and there are other other kind of reasons that that maybe they could they could use as some kind of defense for for the defeat like for example the various injuries they've had at the back like Jules Koundé, Ronald Araujo weren't able to play but it wasn't I mean you look at the game I don't remember and you might be able to correct me but I don't remember Marc-Andre Testegen having to make any saves beyond the the shot which went in from Kahanoglu from quite a way out which on another day you know it's, it's not a very high xg shot it's not one which you'd expect would sneak in it's a great finish from a player that is obviously good at a long range shooting but I don't think Barca conceded too many chances. The, the, the bigger worry for them was that they didn't make too many either beyond well, the two that, that really ended up frustrating them, which were the, the Pedri goal, which I don't know if you guys will have a different opinion to me on this. For me, that by the letter of the law, that should have stood because it, the ball did hit Ansu Fassi's hands, but it wasn't a deliberate handball. And, and that means that the goal should have stood. And then, of course, the... The penalty appeal at the end against uh, was it Dumfries? It was. Uh, yeah. I mean, to me, that was a was a penalty. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, difficult to argue against the Dumfries situation. His hand is above. It's in an un- unnatural position. It's it's above his shoulder. That that's a that's a handball. And and and, and that, But you know, it's. It, I think I I actually think that that the goal was it was correct to disallow it because of. Uh, the position of his hand um, and 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 where it was. So I think I, I do think it was correct to disallow the goal. But I I mean I can't think of how how why that was not given a penalty. No one knows. Um, uh, and and this is this again is why it would be nice if UEFA allowed and FIFA allowed referees to explain their decisions because no one knows why. I mean, was it before? You know, what what was the reasoning behind VAR not you know calling the referee to to look at the to, to to have a review of this. I mean, what was the you know what was the thinking there? How do how does it work? I mean, if anything, if if they were to explain these things, and 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 how it works, the the knowledge of how the laws of the game work would increase and people would understand more. But instead 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 we get radio silence and and people speculate, which is um which is not good. <laughs> I mean, it's nobody knows why why that was not given and why nobody knows why the other one what you know was was also not given i mean it, it's 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 silly and you can have even when you have referees at the highest level explaining these things um who who no longer are active it, it does create a little bit of a it's it would be better if it came from from the bodies themselves allowing the referees to 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 talk maybe not give a press conference but just a statement explaining the reasoning behind the decisions i think that would I think that will calm things down, and even maybe saying, "Well, it was wrong. We got we made a mistake." Because I mean, that people understand that, but this radio silence thing, mm, not I'm not a big fan of that. Not a big fan of no, it. I mean, I, the, I, yeah, sorry. And you you know what? The the fact that you you know you ever want respect for referees, it, it'd be much more easy to for fans to respect them if they were able to give their point of view on things. Yeah, it would, it yeah. would seem a lot more reasonable why decisions were made, and people would be like, "Oh yeah, well that makes sense," because from you know the angle. That the the referee was seeing it from, yeah, he might not have seen that. Or obviously with VAR, then the technicalities of decisions why they're given or not given. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Uh, I'm going to hand you over to Michael. Mike, did you have a question for Rick? Then the floor is yours. Um, yeah, sorry about that. I was fumbling with the new new layout of Skype, but um, yeah, I guess the question for me uh, it comes from. Um, a place that Inter fans have been sitting for a while where we feel a sort of um, pressure on the manager 
um, when things aren't going the right way. And I, I don't know if this is the case at Barcelona. I know things have been going pretty well this season, but what is the expectation for Xavi? What is the pressure on him to get out of this group stage? Like, what are, what does Barca expect out of, uh, out of this match, and what happens if it doesn't go the right way? Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on it, on him to get out of the group because of what they did in the summer. Signing well, various players, but the, the ones that cost a lot of money, Lewandowski, Rafinha, Jules Kounde, those players, for them to be worth it, and especially Lewandowski, because with Jules Kounde, if Barca choose to sell him in two years, they'll get back every penny they spent on him. Same with Rafinha, you imagine. But of course, Lewandowski coming to the club at 34 years old, he's not one. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to get a resale value on him. So signing him was basically a statement saying, yeah, we, we, we've sacrificed certain percentage of, our, of the future of our television rights and, and various different parts of the club. All that sacrifice is worth it because we're bringing in a player like Lewandowski who can win us trophies now. And I'm not saying that, that Barca expect and demand to win the Champions League this season. That would be ludicrous considering they were knocked out in the group stage last year. But I think certainly competing for it is, is essential. And getting knocked out of the group stage this season would be, I don't want to say completely unacceptable in the sense that I don't think they'd sack Xavi if they didn't get out of the group but I mean the honeymoon would absolutely be over and there'd be a lot of questions asked of him uh, Mo did you have a question for Rick and the floor is yours yeah Rick uh, so well, first of all thank you for uh, coming on to the pod but I want to ask you uh, now that uh, the first uh, match is over what do you reckon uh the strategy is going to be coming into uh, the second uh, the second leg. You think that Xavi is going to go, uh, you know, balls to the wall and uh, trying to pin into back straight from the beginning, or is he going to be wary of Inter's uh, counter-attacking um, prowess, which we saw glimpses of in the, the first leg? Uh, what, what, how do you think uh, Xavi is going to approach the game overall? I think much more the former than the latter. I think what he would have taken from San Siro was that certainly in his opinion Barcelona were the better team and should have won the game based on the decisions that he disagreed with so at home he should expect to have an even bigger advantage with the camp now and it'll be a sold out game you know looking at mid 90s and thousands of fans turning up for it there'll be a lot of pressure on on the teams from the from the supporters in the game and I think that that Barca will be told to go out there and and, and basically try and dominate from the start the, the difference being certainly from the weekend's game they played against Celta Vigo when they won 1-0 in the first half they were quite good and as Javi said after the game if, if we play like we did in the first half we'll beat Inter and if we play like we did in the second there's absolutely no chance we will because they were terrible in the second half so what the key for Barca will be is to start the game with that kind of intensity and pressure but not take their foot off the gas because against Celta Vigo they absolutely did that and in Celta, I mean, to be honest, they could have even won the game. They had lots of chances in the second half of the weekend. So the key is, is getting in front, then getting the next goal to, to move ahead and sort of solidify the advantage. And then you can play from a more secure position. But Javi was quite angry with his team that they didn't manage to do that against Celta. But absolutely, they're going to they're gonna be going for it from the off. For sure. Um, and, and and speaking of XG, I mean, Barcelona didn't exactly create that much either. Their XG was not too high in the first leg because Inter defended really well. What what plans do you, I mean, has he, cause, and, and it kind of looked that way against Celta as well. I looked, I looked at, I was watching that game for parts, you know, they, you know, they, they, Barcelona seemed to struggle against teams that defend that deep. 
Um, what, 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 is your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. They do struggle. They have struggled in the last three games, certainly since the international break, because the game before was against Mallorca, who played with a five-man defence, very deep, very tight, under Javier Guire, who plays more or less similarly to how Inter set up in, in San Siro and, and how Salta were were taking on Barca as well. And, and I mean, it's a it's a question, which if I knew the answer, 100%, you know, maybe, maybe I could be a coach because it's a, it's a big <laughs> puzzle for, for Xavi to solve. I mean, Lewandowski, great striker, but you can only put the ball in the net if you get it to him in the right conditions, in the right situations. And the wingers in the last few games have not done enough. Ferran Torres, Rafinha, Ansu Fati, Usman Dembele, they all played for part of the game against Celta Vigo and none of them were convincing. And Javi said after the game that it's to do with confidence, they need a goal to raise their confidence, but I don't, I'm not sure it is because they've all scored this season, they've, apart from maybe Ferran Torres, I don't think he scored for, for Barcelona, I think he scored for Spain. But he's, but they've the, the four of them have, have scored, have been in the goals and they've and they, and they were playing well and suddenly they're, they've dropped off. So I don't think it is just a confidence thing. I think maybe a, a team mechanics thing. They have to work out how to how to play with Lewandowski, how to use Pedri and Gavi, who who had no space at all in the last game. I mean, Rafinha in the last game was used in a very strange way as kind of a, a, more of a central attacking midfielder than a winger, which he's been in, in all the other games. And it, it gave Marcos Alonso a lot of room against Inter in the, in the first match. And his crossing, I think, was was certainly below par, as was Dembele's, although the chance that, that did go in was the Pedri goal. It did come from a Dembele cross, so he kind of got it right towards the end in that game, Dembele. But the key will be not to, to be as wasteful with the balls as they were. They put in, I believe it's 50 crosses against Inter in the first game, which is it's kind of the sign of a team that has run out of ideas, doesn't know how to find a way through in the middle. And I'm sure Inter will line up in, in a similar way, if not more defensively, and and just try to, to, to keep Barca at bay, because obviously a draw is a, is a great result for Inter in this game. And then, as you pointed out, hit them on the break, perhaps. But, I mean, the key is, can have they had enough time since the first game, which was only last week, to, to work out how to break down this kind of defence when they didn't do it against Celta Vigo either? So, I don't know if Xavi will have, have found the solution other than... I mean, rely on the, the quality of the players. For example, I mean, Dembele is one of the most unpredictable players in, in world football because of how two-footed he is. For me, he'd have been a much better option in that position he had Rafinha in in the last game because I think Dembele could have gone outside or, or, or inside in that position whereas Rafinha was a bit more limited and didn't really didn't really have the, the codes and keys to crack into his defence in that, in that match. Certainly not. Uh, certainly not. Um, um, also, I mean, given everybody knows about the levers, the financial levers that Barcelona pulled, and I don't want to grill you too much on that because there's lots, you know, to 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 um, for people to read out online, and a lot has been said. But one thing is that that we've noticed from an inter perspective is how Barcelona, the club, and their fans have completely gone haywire and consider these two decisions as to be the greatest injustices known to man. And on the other, they just seem completely oblivious to all the dubious decisions, to put it diplomatically, have gone their way, not to mention the fact that their financial situation is what it is and they're allowed to get away with it. I mean, is there an understanding from the other side of the camp that this might look a little bit hypocritical? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a Chelsea fan. When yeah. Xavi was calling for that handball on the side of the pitch in the in the first game which reminded me of, of Chelsea in 2009 when, yeah. when they had four penalty decisions that didn't go their way that was it. and two of them were handball of it so it did remind me of that but I don't think from within Barcelona's fan base there is much recognition of it but I also think that the, the spending story is kind of being overblown from the other way because I'm obviously working in Barcelona and covering the club I'm much closer to that side of events and you can see I mean for example the spending the amount they've kind of mortgaged of their their overall 
percentage is five percent of their overall revenue which is which is not that much to to put on the line over you know 25 years or whatever the deal is with sixth street to to mortgage off so i mean it's not it's kind of like using up your last bullet in a way because they don't have you know many more safety nets after this but i think it's a fair point that it would have been just as much of a risk to not do anything and to be at risk of being one of those clubs that that has the pull in world football that can bring Lewandowski from Bayern Munich, can bring Rafinha when he's got Chelsea, and same with Koundé as well, with Chelsea trying to get him as well, that brings him to Barca. If you have three seasons, four seasons off the off your peak, off being on top level, then like Manchester United, you drop well down the pecking order. Look at Frankie de Jong this summer, absolutely refusing to move to Manchester United because he's he wants to stay at Barcelona because he can feel something big is happening there with, with Xavi and Charlie. That to me is is something that not only have they paid for these players, they've also paid to stay in the top sort of elite tier of European clubs. Because if they drop out of that, then I think the situation can get a lot worse than it than it might now they've they've given up some of the percentage of their future TV rights. That, that, that's a good shout. Uh, and before we let you go, um, what what are your predictions about for Wednesday? And also, where can people find you on social media and all that? Uh, floor is yours. Well, for Wednesday, I'm afraid I'm going to uh, let down the <laughs> listeners to the pod because I think I think Barca will win this one. <laughs> I think Barcelona will will win, and I I expect it will be a good game, but I think it will be by uh, I think by two goals in the end. So mm. uh, you know, either a three-one or a two-nil, something like that. And in terms of social media, I'm at Rick Sharma underscore, and my work is on AFP, which means it's actually, I don't know which countries people are listening from, but it gets put all over the world into different you know, newspapers and, and websites. And the pod that we have, it's a Barca pod. If you want the other side of the story from the game, you can probably listen to the, the follow-up pod on it, or even today's preview pod at Siempre Positivo on Twitter, Siempre Pod. Yes, and we, we will be tagging uh, you, the podcast, and your uh, and and your Twitter, and, and 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 linking to it on 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 both the, on both the website and also in 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 the post on social media and elsewhere. Thank you so much for coming on, Rick. Really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. Great to speak with you guys. You too. Take care, and I hope you're wrong about your prediction. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Right. Um, let's uh, let's delve a little deeper ourselves into the um, into the into the game itself. I mean, uh, I I think the first things first things first. We have to we have to talk about Denzel Denzel Dumfries' situation because I just uh, I don't understand how that's not a penalty. And I, and I've looked at this in so many different ways. That it, it's a Stonewall penalty, right? I mean, what are we talking about? Um, but I must say, and I want to hear what you both think about this, the, the, the lack of self-awareness that Barcelona as a club and their fans show is, to me, carbon copy of a certain black and white striped club in Turin and their outrage when they get one refereeing decision against them or one wrong refereeing decision against them. Um, and it's incredibly amusing to me. Like I can't stop laughing at it because it just, it just, it just doesn't. It, it, it's so. It doesn't ring. It, it just rings so false in how they see reality, and and so that makes it even more delicious to win that way. If that makes sense. I mean, what, what do you think, Mo? Do do you think? Do you agree with me? I mean, how did you see this? As a long time uh, Barcelona disliker. 
nothing very very little pleases me more than them feeling uh, indig- indignant injustice. It's, uh, it's <laughs> a choice. But I tell you what, I mean, look, uh, for me, honestly, I mean, sure, it was a penalty. I I understand. I mean, I'm not, but I've also seen them not given. Maybe not in the age of VAR after having taken a look at it and everything, but I think the fact that there is no clear and obvious error on the referee's part, it's not like uh, the, the, the handball was egregious, For, to the point where you affect the outcome of the game for a clearly, uh, clearly unintentional uh, connection with the, with the ball, and you can argue that the ball came off of, uh, I can't remember whose uh, head, so... Uh, so there, there was no time to react, albeit that uh, Dumfries's arm was in, in an unnatural position. Sure, so we're not arguing that. But I can understand the rationale behind not giving the penalty. Uh, but still, I mean, it's a 70-30 thing. And watching them rise and, and, and get angry, for me, is, is, is uh, pure, uh, pure joy. So, no, I, I, I think I, trying to be subjective as possible, which isn't easy when you against Barca in a Champions League uh, counter. I, I think on the balance of play, clearly Barca had better looking football, but you can't deny Inter the three points. I think the three points are undeniable, uh, save for like uh, the last 15-20 minutes of scrambles, uh, Barca trying to, 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 to get something out of the game. For me, uh, I think uh, we deserved three points that's uh that's, that's where i stand what about you mikey i mean uh, what did you think of uh, the the outrage and the tears and we've been we've been scandalized and we've been robbed and, and all this nonsense that that they were saying yeah i mean we've seen um i know it's been mentioned by rick and mo mentioning his dislike but there have been um, calls that have gone for Barca many a time. Um, there's calls that go for every club at certain times. I think um, feeling aggrieved at the moment, that's fair. Um, I wouldn't have been very happy if we were on the other side of that. So I get it in the moment, but for it to drag, and I mean, it's still dragging. And now if you're someone who, you know, trolls around Twitter a little <laughs> bit, um, Re- Real Madrid fans have now started putting on inter profiles and <laughs> Yeah, rooting for the other team here. And so uh, it's just ridiculous. You know, um, I think a lot of those clubs that have that level of repeated success do live in a bit of a vacuum. It's the same bubble that I think a lot of Premier League clubs live in. And yeah, they just need to realize that football is football. Um, a lot of refs aren't as great as we see them. Um, we see that quite a lot in Italy with some baffling calls and it's just football and you got to move on. But um, when you're that big, I, I think everything feels like the end of the world. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm 41. I turned 41 this summer. Me and me and Mo are in the same age group, age box. You know how you have every, every age box, you have 20 to 25, 26 to 30. Me and Mo are in the 40 plus age box. And we've, um, those of us who have been watching Barcelona get dubious decisions their way. I My first experience with European football is 1986, when my hometown team of IFK Gothenburg, a group of semi-professionals, got absolutely shafted by Barcelona and the referee in the return leg of the European Cup semi-final after having destroyed them 3-0 at home and losing that 3-0, having goals disallowed for 
for reasons that no human being still knows to, knows today. Um, and when I and I've interviewed players from that IFK Gothenburg team, and they they are convinced that Barcelona bribed the referee. And then you know, and you see this, you know, not not you know, not to believe it. I'm not saying that that actually happened, but to see that um, the way that they have had dubious decisions go there, where the Chelsea game, as Rick pointed to, I mean, there were there was a point there with the El Clasicos that was you know where Mourinho did his classic porque <laughs> press conference as a coach of Real Madrid, um, and and Napoli. I mean, we can go on. So many clubs have been screwed over by Barcelona by the referees when playing against Barcelona, um, that it does feel, it just, I just can't take it seriously. I mean, even Inter themselves, when Stefano Sensi was fouled in the penalty box and not given a penalty just under Conte. I mean, lots of things that see that under, that has never happened. And, it, and and for them to to be this indignant, it annoys me that Inter are so quiet. It annoys me. I want Inter to go full on, like, Mussolini from the balcony yelling every time they don't get a decision their way in that case. Because that clearly, I mean, there's no doubt that this will have an impact on the game and the referee who's in charge of this game. Because they, you know, and I hope it doesn't. But, but I think this kind of this kind of thing actually does have an impact. And so I don't, you know, and, and so I'm worried that Inter being quiet and not speaking loudly against this. And I hope that Simona speaks about this tomorrow at the press conference. I hope Marotta talks about this, saying that, you know, put pressure on the referee so that you're not going to just sit and take it and get screwed over by Barca with dubious calls. And and that's what I'm a little bit worried about. Um, but, I mean, moving forward to the game itself on Wednesday, um, I, I have seen, there have been reports of Inzaghi possibly playing a 3-5-1-1. Uh, now Sky Sports said they're going to play a 3-5-2. Uh, Gorsens might start instead of De Marco. Uh, Personally, if it were up to me, I'd rather play a 3-5-1-1 with Lautaro as the tip of the nine, ben, bench Dzeko and have play uh, Gagliardini as a mezzala. I'd have Chalanoglu as a, as a regista, Barella, and then also Mkhitaryan. Um, or, yeah, Mkhitaryan as, as the number 10. Um, ideally, I'd like to play Di Marco again uh, and, and Darmian on the other side. And, of course, De Frey and Skriniar, they had a fantastic game in Bastoni as well. And Onana, of course. So... I mean that that's that's how I see it. But but what, what about what about you, Mike, Mikey? I mean, if you could decide, if you could decide how Inter should play, do you think they should play exactly start the same lineup as they did last week against Barca, or do you, would you rather make a minor change and play the three five one one that I've been talking about now? Um. Yeah. You know. Um. At first, I kind of wanted to see pretty much the same lineup, but the more I think about it, and now hearing. Um, what you've said about it, three five one one does sound like a good idea because we know Barcelona are a team that plays, you know, as their midfield goes, they go pretty much. And if you can put four guys on three of their midfield, um, if you're playing, you know, a three five one one where you're pretty much playing with four midfielders, uh, I think that could help. Um, you know, we've seen plenty of teams man mark uh, Marcelo Brozovic at the center of our midfield, and if you can do something similar to Busquets and you know, not really let anyone get going, that could help um, because uh, it's going to be tough for a manager like Simone Inzaghi to go into the camp now and, like, 
do uh, Jose Mourinho 2010. Um, uh, it takes a special manager, a special team to be able to hold off like that. So um, the most, the more proactive that Simone Inzaghi can be, the better. Even if he lines up with, you know, the three-five-two, I hope that he's got some plans in place to neutralize Barcelona where it's important. What about you, Mo? What would you do? The three-five-one-one, or would you do the three-five-two? Look, uh, I'm uh, pretty much like Mikey in that uh, my initial reaction would have been not to change anything, uh, especially since everyone performed so well uh, defensively and offensively the last time round. But I also, I think you're right, uh, overloading the midfield will be very important and having people who double back is important as well. Uh, my, my only concern is, um, you know, would be to have enough forward pressure to pin back their fullbacks as much as possible, whenever possible, at least when we're on the break, to have that threat going uh, uh, in the opposite direction, just to make sure that they don't run us over rampant. Uh, if we sit back too deep and uh, if, if we try and, uh, you know, hold out too deep too early, I don't think it's the office, so I think... Yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, what you mean, and we'll see. I mean, I just, on that note then, um, do you think Inter, do you think Inter will win? And what, what's your prediction on the game, Mo? I, I honestly, last time I, I predicted that we would not did win. But this time around, I think a draw uh, would be far better than my wildest dreams, I think, on the balance Inter managed to go, hope we do, uh, then we're pretty much through the group, you know, considering that Mars uh, and Inter will probably have the same sort of result against Bayern in, uh, in Germany. So, um, yeah, I'll take the draw. Um, I don't think we will get a draw. I think Inter are getting screwed by the referee. <laughs> I think I think they're going to win 2-3-0, and I think it's going to be one of those games where they get they get what they want. Um, and the complaining and the outrage will pay off. I hope I'm wrong, but I, I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, Mikey, what do you think? Uh, you know, I'll take a 1-1. Um, I think mm. that if Inter can, you know, keep the referee from being a factor, you know, play a clean game. We know that this team, when it's a big match play, um, even if they're in a bad state, they play at least up to the neighborhood of, you know, their opponent. And Barcelona didn't look very great against um, Celta Vigo. I did actually tune into that. Um, so, you know, if if everyone does their job, there's no blackouts. Um, Gagliardini gets some protection if he starts. Um, I, I don't see why Inter can't get at least a draw and, get you know, get through. Because this is house money at this point. I don't think we expect it to be here where we have our foot on Barcelona's throat and all you have to do is, you know, finish it off. And I just I hope the team will take... Take, take the reins and um you know control their own fate here mm, i hope you're right from your mouth to god's ears mikey right from but well both of you i mean one one would be nice although everyone i don't like the fact that mo jinxed it saying that inter are virtually through because inter got to beat the victoria pilsen at home and and inter and must win games at home in the champions league <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, uh, yeah I'm, not I'm, yeah uh, this Spalletti, uh, the Spalletti uh, Tottenham game. Yeah. You know that season was was uh, what was the Ajax in the end that we had to beat at home and we drew. 
That was PS3, PS3, I think. Wasn't it PS3 Angel then? Yeah. No, I can't remember. I I can't remember. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that was Dumfries PSV, actually. Yeah, it was Dumfries, Lozano and Dumfries, yeah. (laughs) Terrible. Terrible. Yeah, yeah. memories. Um, Sweet memories. Let's move on. Just briefly touch a little bit about the Sassuolo game. And I got to say, I I think we've seen something here. I think I want to hear what you both think about this. But Simone Inzaghi is quite clear that he realizes that he needs to build from the back. I mean, that's nothing new and and revolutionary. That's something that all football managers do. When things aren't going well, they return to some sort of back to basics and they build from the back. What we saw against Sassuolo is, I think, a little bit more than that. It's the fact that he's realized that, okay, last season I played attacking, very beautiful attacking, passing football. We didn't win the league, even though we probably should have. We did really well in the Champions League we, against both Champions League finalists. If we're perfectly honest, Inter should have won uh, the tie against Liverpool and they should have beaten Real Madrid twice because they were better than Real, Real in both of those games. But regardless, this season, I think he's looking at that, looking at the squad and he's going, well, hang on. This is a team that if they defend low, if they if the balance of the team is low and they defend in blocks, He's got players like Dumfries, like Lukaku, who can attack the space and really hurt teams. Um, and I think that's what we saw against Sassuolo. 48% ball possession, deep, deeper attack and counter-attacking with the Denzel Dumfries, who actually looked really good in that game. I think he was one of the best players, of uh, Inter's best players in that game. And 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 he because well, he we know that he can't dribble his man to save his life, but what he can do is sprint past his man when he's got space to attack into. And that's something that I think that's how I want Inter to play. Um, it's very, it's kind of how in, how Antonio Conte, how, how his Inter played as well. Although he plays, you know, his his football is much more system based, calcio verticale. He and he ripped teams apart, both with and without um, without possession, uh, to win that scudetto and, and get to the final of the Europe, Europa League, etc. So I'm not, you know, I, I, I do I think this is the way forward um, for Inter. And 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 I'm keen to hear what you guys think of that. Do you think do you guys think this is how you know? Do, do you see it the same way I do, or do you think it's more down to chance and and just Inzaghi trying to you know realizing he has to win and is risk minimizing? Uh, what do you think, Mo? I, I can't remember. Was it you or someone else on Twitter who said uh, Inzaghi channeled his inner Allegri? And if we play like yeah, that this, was me. It was you, right? <laughs> yes, it yeah, was. <laughs> Week in, week out, and we're winning the Scudetto. I can't agree more. This was, mm. this is the winning formula. Stop trying to play pretty football. Play effective football. Pretty is going to come sooner or later. Pretty is going to come uh, against weaker opposition. Pretty is going to come when the team, uh, when there's, when morale is high, when, 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 when the players gel together, when the season moves on, when you're set on a starting eleven. So pretty, there's all the time in the world for pretty, but. Uh, Meaningless drop points, you, you just don't get them back. I think, I mean, I heard, uh, I think it was Mikitarian's uh, post-match uh, interview where he said that he firmly believes that this was a turning point. The Barca game was important, but the Sassuolo game was a turning point. So, to me, this would indicate what you're saying, Nima, that this is not a chance. It's, uh, it's not a coincidence. This is something that they had worked on, and it's a formula that Inzaghi is going with. And I think, ultimately... This is what's going to win into the, the, the second star. I think the, the Sassuolo game, I mean, the Barca game, 
was fantastic. I watched the Barca game, elated, surprised at the result, nerve-wracking European classic. It was, it had all the hallmarks of a, of a really nice game. But the Sassuolo game for me was the game that made me look at the season with a bit of optimism. You know, there's there's something there. The, the team played to its potential, I mean, below its potential, ironically, but to its result potential in terms of goal. And I think uh, this is the way forward for this team. Michael, what about you? What do you think, Mike? Uh, yeah, for me, um, Inzaghi is finally doing the right thing after doing every possible wrong thing. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, he's learned by negative reinforcement here, and <laughs> he's gotten to where this team thrives. Um, it still has the skeleton of a lot of Conte's inter. Uh, some of the guys are different, of course, but bringing back Lukaku, it's clear that you can play in that way. Um, he hasn't been fit yet, but uh, I think that's something we're going to see soon. And when we see that, we're going to see this deeper team. But, I mean, beauty, beautiful football, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? Oh, God, So yes. I can think that, um, you know, like a counterattack last season like um, against Roma where Dumfries scored, that was one of the best goals of the season, and that came from a counterattack. I think Simone can play beautiful football he can implement you know some of his more free-flowing ideas but there's no reason that you can't do that while starting from a deeper position and I think if we see a beautiful football from this team it's going to be you know in that ilk couldn't agree with you more couldn't agree with you more and 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 it was so nice to to see uh, him start Andre Onana in the Serie A as well I thought that was incredibly important and for me we're going to get to it uh, later as well. But for me, the most important, uh, how Samir Handanovic behaved being benched in the Serie A is incredibly important. Um, the fact that he's the captain and he goes out and gives this captain speech, as Italian media called it, before the game, supporting Onana, showing that he's fully behind the poor cause, putting the team's needs ahead of his own personal one is, is I think, I just, I just think, I don't think that can be overstated how important that is to create unity in a group. Um, and I think it's incredibly important that he did that, but there is a worrying sign. And I wanted to talk to you both. This is something again, that we've seen with Lautaro. He's a patchy goal scorer. Um, and we've seen that he, he goes for, for eight, nine games without scoring. And I think now we're, we are somewhere there. He hasn't scored again for quite a few games. And it's starting, and he, he missed a couple of sitters against Asolo. And Consigli, to be fair, made one of the saves of the season on a header that, that, that Lautaro had. It was fantastic. But he did miss a few sitters. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's no longer a teenager. He's no longer a young player. He's actually a, you know, he's, he's, a, he's an established player. Is this... Is this the the Lautaro we we're seeing now? That he is a patchy goal scorer. He will have periods where he doesn't score for five, six, seven games, and then he scores again in bursts. Or 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 is it? Do you guys think that this is more again down to just chance? Um, and maybe you know the fact that he's 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 had a little bit of a like a fitness issue, uh, etc. Well, what's your thoughts, Mikey? Yeah, with Lautaro, to me. Um... It's tough because, you know, football has gotten younger. Um, I, th I don't think we can deny that, the shift to players getting to this extremely high level at a younger age is what every, well, every sporting director, every manager, every fan wants. Um, but it's not necessarily always the reality. I think that Lautaro is still at, 
You know, we know what he is now, but with the way that players start younger, a lot of players are also playing later into their careers. And so it's not necessarily that you can't, he, he can't grow more. I think we've seen that he has some growth this season, even um, his performance against um, Milan being one of those. I think that uh, he'll come around um, whether it lasts, you know, the entire season uh, will be yet to see, but I, I thought he was, you know, unlucky against Sassuolo. Um, just another step quicker. He would have had a goal in the first half. Then Consiglio does Consiglio things. Uh, we know that. And, I mean, for now, I think he might be a little bit in his head. We've seen him do that before. But I still think he's going to improve. I think he's going to come around this season. And when he's starting with, you know, um, someone like Romelu Lukaku, who we know he can play well with, instead of yeah. Ed Njeko, who he doesn't have the greatest <laughs> partnership with, even though the two make it work. It's like a, it's like a couple staying together for their kids. They're making it work. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it just isn't getting the most out of Lautaro. Mm, I could not agree with you more. Uh, Mo, where are you on this? I love the uh, analogy about the couple. Again, but, <laughs> Me uh, too. <laughs> so yeah, no. Look, I, I, uh, I, I totally think, in my, in my opinion, I think Lautaro is fast becoming a complete striker. I think it's also undeniable that he's, you know, he's not a goal machine. In that uh, he's not going to score the uh, the Julio Cruz uh, Milito. Uh, uh, you know, tap in goals week in week out. He scores generally uh, prettier goals. He tends to find himself uh, positioned outside of the box more often. Uh, that's that's just where he naturally is. He's able to. Uh, he's a much more technically gifted player than, than, than either of these guys. Um, so I think you can't have it all. You can't have a guy who drops deep and and, and you know uh, turns an opponent uh, with a lot of grace or does his amazing uh, you know. Uh, receive the ball with his back to the goal outside the penalty box and turn 180 degrees uh, on his waist and, uh, and, and you know, uh, and, and hit the target. It's just who he is. So I think while you're, pro- you're clearly right, I mean, he's, he is a patchy striker. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it is who he is. It comes with at the expense of many other very positive attributes. And when you pair him, like, like you both said, like with a Romelu Lukaku or even an Edin Zeko, uh, a more clinical sort of uh, finisher in the box, you have a far more complete attacking unit uh, than you would if it was just a Zeko alone or a Lukaku alone or just playing a 4-3-3 with, with two wider wingers and a, and a lone striker, regardless of who, who that person might be, a Haaland or a, or a Lewandowski. I think the solutions uh, through, through uh, Lautaro's technical abilities and his ability to hold the ball and take on players outside of the box and, and create chances on his own uh, from the outside from the outside ground box is what makes him a both patchy but be a very diff- different sort of uh, talent and, uh, with, a, with a unique skill set way on the pitch yeah but that's a fair point I I hope that I, I'm 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 of the opinion that I just want that he's not a past G striker or, or I want him not to be not, not the, of the, my opinion is 
I hope he's not a patchy striker because I think he's got everything else. And the part you said about him being a complete striker, I couldn't agree with you more because I think he, I think he's got everything. And he's also built his body up as well. He he's stronger than he's ever been before. And and before he used to be yeah. a little bit of he used to weigh a little bit too lightly, but not anymore. Um, and and so he's in mint condition physically, mentally. Um, and 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 I just. I don't want him to be a patchy striker. If he can score once, twice, you know, keep it going for, for you know, for, for a longer period of time, I think he will be a goal machine because I think he's got everything. I think it's more down to relaxing in the finishing, in, in the final third when he finishes. It feels to me that he he tries too hard. He tries to put too much power or pace in it uh, instead of maybe placing it past um, at times and, be, and being a bit more relaxed and cool. Um, uh, which, which I mean, for example, you see, um, which you see players like Lewandowski. You see, you see the reason why I think he's a machine is because he he places everything. He knows where where the goals come from, and he knows how to move, and he puts himself in good positions. I think Lautaro does that, but it's in the finishing phase where Lewandowski knows exactly how to finish and how to use his body to finish. Where I feel that Lautaro is still lacking a little bit. I think he he gets a little bit too eager. Right, uh, in, after Barcelona, Inter play Salernitana, and they host Salernitana, and, and this is a game where, I mean, I don't even, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm just going to say Davide Nicola has done an excellent job at Salernitana. His great ex- escape last season is one of the one of the greatest escapes that he's ever, he's he's that, that, that has happened in, in modern time in Serie A. But they do have a few Inter killers. They have Bonazzoli, who's, who was an Inter Primavera player. They have our good friend, the the the, the Polish gunman Krzysztof Piątek, who who flopped miserably at, at Milan. I think he he's definitely. I mean, it's kind of written in the stars that Piątek's going to score, isn't it? Um, but I do think that you know, this is a game Inter should win three three one. I'm, I'm going to go three one comfortably. And a goal from Piontek, maybe one from Ben Bonazzoli, but this is something they should win, right? Without much fuss. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, give me a 4-1 here, actually. Mm. Uh, Lautaro is a big fan of playing against Salernitana. I think that may be <laughs> his most scored against team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's get him off the schneid with one. Um, Lukaku's supposed to be back for that, possibly. If he's in there, give me a goal there. Um, and then throw one in from a defender somewhere mm, or a nice. couple more from defenders, midfielders, mm. anywhere you want them. Mm, nice one. What about you, Mo? Predictions and thoughts on that? I'll, I'll, uh, I'm just very happy to see Kandreva back. Uh, I, I love that guy, man. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, really, no, no, I just, uh, <laughs> a lot of joy, a lot of joy, Kandreva. It's good to welcome him back to the, the, the San Siro in, uh, in Salernitana garb after his stint at Sampdoria. Um, I think it's going to be a clean sheet, guys. I think um, it it all depends on on, on what we do against Barca defensively. But I think uh, the defense is, 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 defensive unit is growing. And I think uh, a clean sheet uh, would, Onana, if he's in goal, a lot of of good uh, in the Serie A. Um, And I think it's going to be a a few goals. So let's say, let's give it a 3-0 for Inter. I actually think Samir Handanovic is going to start against Salernitana. I think Onana is going to start against Barcelona, but I think he's going to play Handanovic against <clears throat> against Salernitana just to keep him going. Uh, I, I really think so because uh, he said he's not made a final decision yet. But I mean, he's he's got no choice but to say that. He can't exactly turn around to the captain of the team and say, "Yeah, you're benched forever." 
but uh, I but I wouldn't be surprised if Samir Handanovic starts against Salernitana, and and to be fair, I'm I'm okay with that, uh, because uh, after that, then we have a weeks uh, week we don't we're not playing midweek, and it's Fiorentina away, and I think and, and Fiorentina away, Victoria Pilsen at home, and Sampdoria at home, after that, but. Let's not dwell too much on that and let's move on to the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of and criticize someone or something heavily in the world of piss, world of football, starting with the positivity. This week's Moratti, which we presented by Mr. Mohamed Nassad. He's, he works a lot, he's intelligent and he surprises people sometimes with his ideas. Not easy to find one person of this qualities. Yeah, so after a few weeks of uh, really slim pickings, uh, we're finally blessed with a week of uh, a lot of uh, things to choose from, whether it's uh, the VAR against Barca, if it's uh, Marco's <laughs> performance against Barcelona, the, the, the team spirit uh, uh, against Asolo. But uh, I think it's something that you raised earlier, Nima. It's got to be Andanovic and, uh, mm. and his, his grace in, uh, in, in, in conceding uh, the starting spot uh, to Onana. And whether it's a permanent thing, like I might believe, or whether it's uh, it's going to be a, a slow introduction, like you think. Uh, either way, uh, this is real captain metal, you know, being shown uh, as one of Andanovic's biggest critics, even before his uh, clear decline. I have to I have to concede when 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 you know when he's being worthy of this uh, extremely valuable act. No, couldn't agree more. Said, couldn't have said it better myself. I agree 100%. I mean, I think that 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 to me creates unity, and that shows to me that when a player is willing to do that for the team, it shows to me leadership, and also that he's backing his manager for 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 making that decision. And I think that is that's brilliant to see. Right, let's move on to something much more positive uh, or something much more f- much more comical. This week's frog, which we presented by Mr. Michael McDonald. Um, there was a fun one that I, I, I kind of picked up on this week. It was a little later in the week. It was after the match against Barcelona, but I saw that uh, Robert Lewandowski um, slipped on the infamous uh, in <laughs> San Siro steps. What is wrong with it? Was somebody fixed that? Everybody falls over on that. I think we're up to three. We're up to three victims in the past, uh, I'd say, what, 10 months? Um, they've got a, they've got a good rate going on there. Cause I think it was Carboni may have also yeah. slipped. Yeah. It, it's many people I've seen four. I can't remember all four now, but it, it literally is on the same spot as well. Like th- someone's going to do break their neck or something. I mean, fix it for goodness sakes. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy it though. You know what? I'm uh, I'm waiting for the next victim. I I'm gonna start. I need to start a um betting pool on who it's gonna be next. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I th- I think it's gonna be Lukaku. I I don't know why. I just feel it's gonna be Lukaku who slips on it. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't want that because he may be out another. Well, time. that's what I'm. That's what see. That's what I'm thinking. He's gonna injure himself again, <laughs> falling over. I hope not. But no, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I hope someone like Beppe Marotta doesn't use those stairs because he could actually, like, you know, older people falling over. That's not a. It's not a good idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go. 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 Oh no! I was just gonna say. Uh, I think. Um, most of the management steers clear of that area. They kind of, you know, they have their set in the stands. So I think I think they're spared 
But uh, anyone who's on the playing field, any um, coaches, managers, their their uh, referees, even they're all fair game. Yeah, Inzaghi fell spectacularly on that patch, didn't he? Um, <laughs> that was uh, that was that was brilliant. Right, uh, let's move on to something much more negative. This week's Modji, which I will be presenting myself. Right, so this week's Moji um, has to be Juventus for they they just can't give it up. They have appealed. I don't. I have lost count how many how many appeals it is now of the 2006 Scudetto, which was uh, awarded to Inter for finishing for for not being for not for not violating you know the Article Six of. <laughs> Of the of the sports code um, and 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 being awarded the Serie A title, but yeah, Juventus have lodged another appeal. I think it's with a local court in 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 Rome. Uh, I have no idea what it is they're appealing, but apparently there doesn't seem to be a final instance for this for this for this for for, for the legal um, for the for for the legal gymnastics that the Bianconeri seem to seem to want to to use in order to to get that get that Serie A title away from Inter and 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 have it awarded to nobody at least at the very at the very least which is what the end game here is but i don't think it's going to happen it's been six it's it's 2022 now it's been 16 years um no to 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 for for, an, for a court to remove it after 16 years would open up an entire new can of worms and i just don't think it would happen but then again it is at least everything's possible but yeah they they moji himself was was behind was the reason why juventus were stripped of two two scudetto titles and the fact that they just can't give that up and i mean in this day and age where job security is not you know is is in something you come 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 across very often i i think i wish we all had everyone had the job security of a juventus lawyer because you know that <laughs> of the of the law firm that handles Juventus complaints when it comes to the Calciopoli process, because you know you're going to be employed until the end of time, because they're never going to give that up, um, for sure. Right, uh, that's all we had time for this week. Um, I'd like to well, thank you again, Michael, for Mikey for coming on. Oh yeah, thank you so much for having me back on. It's been great to be on a more positive episode this week. Uh, Mo, <laughs> Mo, also, it's been great talking to you. Um, it was great with our guest Rick as well. Mm. Mo, Mr. Mohamed Nasa. Yeah, like Mikey said, it was uh, it's a uh, good finally uh, inject some uh, positivity in the intersphere and uh, great episode. Thank you guys very much. I'd like to thank also Mr. Rick Sharma. We'll be tagging both Mikey's podcast and and uh, Rick's uh, Rick's Rick's podcast and and his uh, social media handles uh, in the post on, well, everywhere pretty much where we post it. Uh, and until next week, I'm your host, Nimata Aleirutsari, wishing you a good week, six points, and sempre e solo Forza Inter.